0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now, here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8 through 1015, called The Lord Sends a Message.
1: We believe that God is sovereign, and when things in the world happen, when tsunamis take place and earthquakes take place and attacks take place, there is something that we need to look at. God is not the author of evil, but God is sovereign. And for his people, he was saying, look, you're looking at the broken pieces, but all you're saying to yourself is we will rebuild. We can fix that. We can make that building new again. But God's saying, there's something that I want to rebuild in you. These stones are symbolic of the deeper problem. Take a look. Stop for a minute before you start that building project and look at your heart. I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to show you something about the nation, something about the people. All the people will know it. Isaiah 99, NIV, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria who say with pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. Notice the focus, we will rebuild. We will do this. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, no problem, we got this one. Things have fallen down, but we'll take care of it. It's okay, we've got it. But God says, no, the rebuilding project is what I wanna do in you. What really needs to crash down is the idols in your life. What really needs to come down is those things that have caused you to be prideful and forget about me. Therefore, 11. The Lord raises against them adversaries from resin and spurs their enemies on. I want you to notice the sovereignty of God. The language is unmistakable. Verse 11. A ruthless foreign foe will be God's tool of judgment, and in this case, it will be the Assyrians. The NIV says, But the Lord has strengthened Rezin's foes against them and has spurred their enemies on. The Bible is unmistakable. Isaiah wants us to see through the Holy Spirit that God is behind the enemy coming
2: into Israel to attack it.
1: That's shocking. Why would God do that? Why would God use a foreign army to attack his holy land? Why would he do that? Why would he bring a a people group? Remember, I told you that the Assyrians were probably the most wicked people of this time. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Jonah was to be sent to Nineveh, and he ran the other way because they were a war machine. But the thing about Nineveh that is striking in contrast to Israel is that finally Jonah arrives. We know the whale swallowed him. If it was a whale, it was at least a a huge fish, regurgitated him up on the seashore. Maybe he was albino. We know he had a seaweed hat going on and all that stuff. And he came and he preached the message. But from the king on down, do you remember what the Ninevites did? They repented. The king was sitting in, uh, with sackcloth and ashes, and he said, perhaps God will relent. Don't let a beast or a man do anything. Don't eat anything. Call upon the name of the Lord. And God saw that they were sorry, and he what? He relented from what he had planned to do. He knew that they would, of course, in his sovereignty, uh, repent. But Israel won't, and so Rezin's forces are strengthened. The Arameans are Syrians uh, 12 on the east and the Philistines on the west. This almost gives you a picture that Israel is surrounded. And they devour Israel, notice this language, with gaping jaws. It's almost as if the sharks have gathered in for the kill. They smell the blood in the water. Their jaws are wide open, ready to strike. And here's what God says. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. Why does God not turn away? Why is his anger still stretched out against the nation? Next verse, yet the people do not turn back to him who struck them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. It is a mistake to run away from God when he strikes you. We should run to God. But so many people, you know, and I think it's easy to say when we're not going through it, but when we go through a bad time, when maybe we even sense that something has happened in our lives and maybe there's a divine influence behind it. Sometimes we get angry and we run from God. And when we, when we do that, what we do is sometimes we put ourselves in a position where His hand has to stay stretched out to get our attention. Because remember I told you that God's discipline is because He what? He loves us. So if we run the other way and we don't learn the lesson, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. And that verse, James 1.5, is right in the context of adversity. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various what? trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you might be mature, lacking nothing. But in the trial, we struggle and and the whole of James 1 seems to indicate that a lot of people, you know, early Jewish Christians, were questioning God and saying, How? Maybe they were even saying from some of the verses, God is tempting me to evil. And James says, No, God doesn't tempt anyone to evil. No. That that doesn't happen. You can't accuse God of that. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shifting or shadow. So let every one of us be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And we can see in those verses the wisdom of that. We should all be quick to uh, hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But the context seems to be don't accuse God. Be quick to listen to what God might be trying to show you. Be slow to speak, because sometimes we do a lot of talking and very little listening. And be slow to anger, because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. See, I think James is giving us a whole lesson in the first chapter of James about wisdom when we go through difficulty. And God is saying, the people don't turn back to me Nineveh did, the capital of Assyria, but my people don't learn the lesson. They can't seem to see it. All they see is stones on the ground. They don't see that the problem is their heart. 14, so the Lord cuts off head and tail from Israel, both palm branch and bulrush in a single day. That just simply means these are metaphors for the leaders. God cuts off the head and the tail of Israel. Those, uh, the head is the elder, 15, an honorable man, And the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tale. The leaders are responsible. The nation is going through something and the leaders need to lead. But rather than the leaders leading, they're just giving more poor counsel. If we go through something as a church, as a family, as a nation, a leader needs to say, you know what, maybe God's trying to show us something. Maybe all of this idolatry and falsehood and deception that's been going on in the nation, God's had enough. Maybe a leader would recognize, you know what, like Abraham Lincoln, maybe we've forgotten God. Maybe the the call that we need to get back to is to get back on our knees and say, Lord, you are the one that was behind this country and the blessings of this country. We must come back to you. But rather than doing that, it's all the peripherals. Well, here's what we'll do to rebuild this and rebuild that. And missing what's going on. And God says, I'm going to cut off the leaders. I'm going to cut off the elder and the prophet. Those who guide this people, 16, are leading them astray. Those who are guided by them are brought to confusion. There's chaos and anarchy, 17. Therefore, the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men, nor does he have pity on their orphans and their widows, those that are close to his heart. Every one of them is godless, notice. Can you imagine that being said of the nation of Israel? Every one of them, including orphans and widows, those who are close to God's heart, have become godless. They've become evildoers. Why? Because the leaders tell them to go this way and every mouth is speaking foolishness. Here's a repeat of the phrase. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away and his hand is stretched out. You might want to just write in your Bible, second time he said that. You'll see it, I think, four times. In spite of all this, in spite of all that's happened, here's the implication. The nation does not turn to God and say, you know what, maybe we have some soul searching to do. Maybe we need to look at something here a little deeper. No, they don't do that. And so God's hand continues to be stretched out against the nation. The leaders lead the people to error and to destruction and confusion abounds and the nation is unraveling before their eyes. Wickedness burns like a fire, 18. It consumes briars and thorns. It even sets the thickets of the forest aflame, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. You can see the picture of the city on fire and burning and the smoke rising. By the fury of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. It's almost as if the wrath of God has mingled with the sin of man and it's become ugly and things are being consumed. Go to Galatians chapter four. Galatians four. Hold your finger in Isaiah. Galatians chapter, actually five. The key for us not to consume each other is to walk in the spirit talks about brother against brother and so forth. Galatians 5:14 says, "For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, Galatians 5:14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself." Galatians 5:15, "But if you bite and devour one another, take care or watch out lest you be what your bible say consumed or destroyed by one another. You see, this is not only a message to a nation, this is a message to a church. Be careful that you don't bite and devour each other to the point where you're consuming one another. You see, judgment does begin in the house of the Lord. And so the key, in Galatians 5 goes on to tell us this, in order to avoid this, I say, walk in the Spirit and you will what? Not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. These we know well. Immorality, yeah. Impurity, yep. Yeah. Sensuality, know that one. Idolatry, yep; yeah. Sorcery, got that one.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Michael Lance says that at the end of each week, get to church.
1: Fellowship is important. If you live in Southern California, make sure you visit the church Pastor Michael has the honor of serving as senior pastor. Living Truth Christian Fellowship is in the city of Corona on 1009 Arsenal Way. You can learn more about the church on walkintruth.com. If you listen to Walk in Truth and you're nowhere near Southern California, Pastor Michael would ask that you make an effort to get into fellowship. Being alone is needed sometimes, but it's not the way the Lord would have you live. Pastor Michael and the whole Walk in Truth team pray you get to church this week and learn more about Pastor Michael Lance, the mission of Walk in Truth, and our church at
2: walkintruth.com. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today.
0: We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walkin' Truth.
1: Take care or watch out, lest you be, what's your Bible say? consumed or destroyed by one another. You see, this is not only a message to a nation, this is a message to a church. Be careful that you don't bite and devour each other to the point where you're consuming one another. You see, judgment does begin in the house of the Lord. And so the key, in Galatians 5 goes on to tell us this, in order to avoid this, I say, walk in the Spirit and you will what? Not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. These we know well. Immorality, yeah. Impurity, yep. Sensuality, know that one. Idolatry, yep. Sorcery, got that one. I want you to notice the next several fruits of the flesh, Galatians 5.20. They are enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes. Sound like relational stuff here? Dissensions, factions, envying. You know, when we think of the fruit of the flesh, we don't often think of the bulk of this list has to do with relationships that are being devoured Look at it. There's enmity among people. There's strife. There's jealousy. There's anger. There's disputes. There's dissensions. There's factions. There's envying, envying. Most of the list that Paul gives us for the fruit of the flesh, in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, have to do with broken, destroyed relationships where people are consuming one another. And so we can see that this is a major issue. And this is going on in the land. And the fruit of the Spirit is in contrast. It is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's go back to Isaiah. But in Isaiah's time, people are consuming each other to the extent that the next picturesque verse, I think, says it all. This is Isaiah 9.20. They slice off what is on the right hand, but still are hungry. They eat what is on the left hand, but they are not satisfied. Each of them eats the flesh. You want to be grossed out? You probably won't want to get food after this. Each of of them eats the flesh of his own arm. What? I thought the the context here, if you look at verse 19, uh, it talks about wickedness, burning, and then 19... Uh, says, end of the verse, no man spares his brother. And then it goes into this idea of their hunger not being satisfied. And each of them eats the flesh of his own arm. And you got to wonder about that picture until you realize that we're a body. And if you destroy someone close to you, guess what you've done? You've destroyed yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. And so if you destroy your spouse with your words, since you're one in Christ, guess what you've done? You've hurt yourself. Because you're one. God says they're no longer two, but one. And so here is the root. Here is how it's manifesting itself in the nation. And one of the sins of the flesh we saw was outbursts of anger. Listen to Frederick Buchner. Of the deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor the last twosome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast
2: is you, close quote.
1: This is what's happening to Israel. They don't see that all of the brokenness around them is consuming themselves. And we can see it. We can step back tonight in Southern California and say, you know what? Every time we see something that is destructive or something that ails the church or the nation, it ultimately comes back to all of us. We want the church to be strong, we want families to be strong, we want the city to be strong, we want the nation to be strong, because we are all part of it, and especially true of the church. And so, the issue is that Manasseh 21 devours, Manasseh will feed on Ephraim. These are two major tribes in the northern kingdom, Manasseh and Ephraim, which uh, came from Joseph. Manasseh devours Ephraim. Ephraim, Manasseh. And together they are against Judah. We should be partners, but we're enemies. Brenda and I went to a a marriage conference some years ago. We were there as a pastor and his wife. Um, We were there because everybody, every marriage needs a tune-up. We didn't even need an overhaul, but we were there to hear about what a ministry was doing. And it was a family life marriage conference. And There's probably about, I don't know, three, four, five hundred people in the room. And at one point, early on in the conference, they asked us to turn to each other and say to our spouse these words, you, with eye contact, are not my enemy. You should have seen the room, because Brenda and I were laughing, because it was kind of funny, but there were people in the room that literally could not turn to each other and look each other in the eye. Because to be truthful, that person next to them that is their spouse had become their enemy. Very difficult moment for a lot of people who were there as a last ditch effort to try to repair something that had been broken. They were consuming each other. And God says, the people, the tribes that are supposed to be after my heart are are against each other. They feed on each other. They destroy each other. And in spite of all this, this is the third time. His anger does not turn away, and his hand is still stretched out. And he says, woe, into chapter 10, verse 1. Woe to those who enact evil statutes. Woe is a pronouncement of judgment and sorrow mingled together, and it's coming from the heart of God. Woe to those who enact evil statutes, to those who constantly record unjust decisions, So as to deprive the needy of justice, tend to, and rob the poor of my people of their rights, in order that widows may be their spoil, and that they may plunder the orphans. Now what will you do in the day of judgment, God says, and in the devastation which will come from afar, to whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? God asks a question. His hand is still stretched out. The people aren't turning to God. And God says, okay, now that you've made these idols and now that judgment has fallen upon your nation, who are you going to run to? 9-11 happens in our nation and churches swell with attendance. Prayer meetings are attended like we've never seen before. And people run to God. A couple weeks later, we have short memories. And we go back to our normal lives. And we have to ask a question about God's sovereignty. We have to ask a question. In the rubble in our own country, were we asking the right questions? Are we now?
2: I'm not sure we are.
1: Because today we have a nation that we could say like Abraham Lincoln said, has forgotten God. We want a God of convenience. We want a God our own way. God is jealous for his people. He will not share his glory with another. We all understand that.
0: You've been listening to The Lord Sends a Message, part two on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8 through 1015. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Walk in Truth, our church, and the events and studies we have going on, then download our free Living Truth app from your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now, here's Pastor Michael.
2: Well, the problem with Israel uh, in this time, and the problem really with mankind throughout the ages, is this idea of self-salvation, about really trying to save ourselves or making unhealthy alliances where we don't belong. And when that happens uh, and of course this is language that we do see in the Old Testament the Lord would often turn against his people turn against for example Israel and we have to remember that Israel was the northern kingdom and Judah the southern kingdom but Judah oftentimes you know displeased the Lord as well and the kings uh, that led the the nation and so uh, a remnant is mentioned here in chapter 10 and a remnant is those who stay true to the Lord. Uh, the Lord would always reserve a remnant. And uh, that's what we need to be thinking about, is we want to be a remnant. You know, uh, spiritual polls uh, in America are showing a decline in church attendance and people who read their Bible daily, uh, pray daily, have a biblical worldview— and more and more that this idea of a remnant is becoming a reality in America. I suppose it always has been, but you know, we've said over the last couple of years with all the COVID stuff that this is kind of in some ways, uh, separated the wheat from the chaff. Let's be honest. And so the question becomes, where am I right now today? You know, it's the beginning of a new year, but, but I have to ask myself, where am I at? Am I part of the remnant? wanting to be true to the Lord, come what may? Those are big questions, and I realize that some of you may not have even asked them before. But this is a good time to ask, because remember, the closer you stay to the Lord, everything else will take care of itself, despite the fact that sometimes it's not easy to stay true. Uh, This is what we're called to do, and the Lord is worth it. Well, you listen to the book of Isaiah right here on Walk in Truth. As we move through the chapters, you can see the incredible power and relevance of the book. The Bible is so relevant, really, to all of our lives. And uh, that's, I think, why the Holy Spirit nudged us to go in this direction. I'm so glad you're aboard. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. Thank you for those of you who pray for us. If we can pray for you in any way, would you send prayer requests at walkintruth.com? That's walkintruth.com. Appreciate our monthly partners as well. And just what the Lord is doing for this ministry is so wonderful. Send us a note about what the ministry has meant to you. That's always encouraging to us. You can do it all at walkintruth.com. This is Pastor Michael, and we will see you right here
0: tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8 through 1015, called The Lord Sends a Message. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.